I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 21. We are in week 27 in the book of Acts, uh, which has been such a blessing. And we're closing in on the end of it, uh, which is also interesting, um, given how long that we have been in there. So I want to read uh, just kind of our starting text today, Acts 21, verse... 39. I'm going to read, well, let me flip back here. The wind blew my page. I was like, that does not look, I don't see verse 39. There it is. Okay, so Acts 21, verse 39. I'm read a few verses there, pray over the word, and uh, th then we'll get into it. So in 2139, Paul said, I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. And after he had given permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hands to the people. When there was a great hush, he addressed them in Aramaic. Brothers and sisters, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and to bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, though you didn't have to. You did, and we benefit from it greatly. I thank you that as, as we go through uh, scripture today, that you build us up in our faith. As each one has individual need, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're able to take the poverty of my remarks and direct them exactly where they should go and translate them to every heart exactly as they have need and want to receive. And we thank you for your goodness in that and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So how did we get here in the book of Acts? We can't do a full recap, right? It's a lot of weeks. It's a lot of chapters. But what we can do is just remind ourselves where it began. And I'm actually going to turn back and read a verse or two in the book of Luke. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. Luke 24. This is after Jesus was crucified, buried, rose from the dead, and has appeared to his disciples. He told them, this is what is written. This is Luke 24, 46. This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. He's telling them repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name, the name of the Messiah in all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you will be my witnesses when power has come upon you. And he said the same thing in the book of Acts. Chapter one. 
He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so there in Jerusalem, being obedient to what Christ had told them, they gathered together. Uh, the scripture tells us 120 men and women until Pentecost Sunday, which actually is today. The church calendar, 50 days after Easter, Pentecost Sunday. It's pretty cool. And so they began as 120 people. And we know what happened. The spirit falls. Uh, Peter preaches a sermon. Thousands begin to come to belief. And the book of Acts lays out for us the beginning of the church. We see the, the, the creation of it and then the multiplication of it. Just as Jesus uh, spoke in Jerusalem first, in all Judea, which were the villages around Jerusalem, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're seeing that played out in what we'll read about today. The text that we'll cover today takes place something like 35 to 40 years after Pentecost Sunday, where it started with 120 believers there in Jerusalem. Paul is actually going to stand in Rome we won't make it there today, but at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is going to stand in Rome and speak before Caesar. And Rome is about 3,000 miles away from Jerusalem. And it, what started as 120 has grown into thousands and probably at that point already hundreds of thousands in the book of Acts. And so you see it playing out exactly as Jesus said that it would and one of the most amazing things about the church in the beginning and also now, but especially in the beginning, for it to start from 120 Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, but begin to cross geographical boundaries, to go great distances, to be able to cross ethnic boundaries. You go, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, and not just for the Gentiles here, but the Gentiles that are far away in all the provinces of Asia, and, and to cross theological boundaries. It wasn't, it wasn't normal for, for the belief in a specific God to transcend and, and expand out beyond beyond the certain borders of that city or that nation, right? Because if you went a hundred miles away, they believed in a completely different God. They worshiped something else completely. They were worshiping different idols, different statues. And to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transcend all of those boundaries testifies to the power of the gospel. That's what Paul would say in Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. And again, it's, it's, it's been amazing to see it play out. And one of the main characters in this, especially in the latter half of the book of Acts, has been the Apostle Paul, who started out as Saul, big Damascus Road conversion, and God called him to be a missionary to the nations. And he's gone all of these places and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, even enduring many hardships to get it done. And what we saw last week is we read and we looked into his farewell to the church at Ephesus, uh, all of his friends, all of the elders, the, the, the leaders of the church of Ephesus, they, 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 they gathered together and he encouraged them and they wept together. And then he got on the ship because he said, I'm compelled to the spirit to go to Jerusalem, to go back to where this whole thing kicked off. 
And he was going to Jerusalem with a gift and a tribute from all the churches. And because of that, he was bringing with him a representative from most of them. Right. The church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi. All of them were sending a tribute offering to the church at Jerusalem to show the unity uh, that they all had together. And as he's getting ready to go, every step of the way, he would run into prophets and friends who would say, brother, please don't go to Jerusalem. We know we've seen that when you go, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound and that it will even bring about your death. This trip to Jerusalem will bring about your death. And they were saying that means to us you shouldn't go. And Paul looked at him and he said, why are you uh, breaking my heart? Why are you weeping like this and telling me these things that you think I don't already know? And I am ready to go to Jerusalem and not only be bound, but to even die for the name of the Lord Jesus. And th th this Sunday may be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more like story time. And you'll see why when we get there. But, but he tells them this, and so they, they release him. He's not going to listen to us. They say, let the will of the Lord be done. Let the will of the Lord be done. So Paul makes it to Jerusalem. He makes it there uh, with, with the rest of the team that's gone along with him. And he goes to visit James and the other leaders of the Jerusalem church. Remember James, the, the son of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. He is the leader in the church of Jerusalem. And Paul gets to meet with him again. They haven't got to spend a lot of time together. And he comes in and he tells James about all the things that God has done among the Gentiles. He's like, you're not going to believe where all the gospel is been preached and what all has happened and all the response and everything that the Lord has done. And James and the brothers there rejoice. And then James tells Paul, he's like, now, listen, you need to understand people here talk about you. You need to understand that people here know who you are and they've been talking about you. A lot of the Jews here have believed, but they're, they're kind of stuck in the Jewish religion while trying to convert to Christianity. And there's a mixture there. And he said, basically, a lot of them don't like you. You better tread softly. A lot of them don't like you. You need to make sure you're conducting yourself properly. He's like, here's what I recommend. You take these brothers with you, these four. Everybody knows them. Everybody knows that they're pure of heart. Everybody knows that they have uh, gone through all the purification rituals that are necessary to enter the temple because we don't have time to talk about that. But they had rules that you had to meet in order to be able to enter the temple. He's like, go in with them into the temple. Why? Because Paul had showed up with a bunch of Gentiles. He's like, you know, you don't need to be taking the Gentiles in the temple. Paul's like, I know I don't need to take Gentiles in the temple. So he goes in with the four Jewish brothers. And while they're in the temple, Paul's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. But there are some Jews there who were from Asia. Think Ephesus. Think the places like that. And they said, there he is. That's him. He's the one. He's the one who has been stirring people up and, and telling people that we don't believe right and tell them that they can have eternal life without being Jewish. It's him. And he's a problem and he's a plague and he's an agitator. And all of a sudden, Paul's not doing anything. All of a sudden, they stir up the crowd and a riot begins. They're grabbing him. They're trying to carry him out to kill him. And the riot in the streets, the melee, the madness was so much that Rome, who's over Jerusalem, right? And the soldiers, they, they see it and they get the commander and they move into response. You've seen like when the SWAT team goes in and they're all like running this. I, I picture that they're just running down there together. We've got to address what's going on. They get into the middle of this mob and they can tell that Paul, for whatever reason, is at the center of it. 
and to try to get things in order so that they can tell what's going on, they arrest him first. We don't know who you are or what you're doing, but you obviously have something going on here that's causing everybody to, to go crazy. And all the while, while they're trying to get him secured and get him carried out of the middle of this, the, the Jews from Asia and the crowd that they've stirred up are essentially shot, kill him, get rid of him. He's got to get out of here. He's nothing but a problem. He has got to go. And so they're carrying Paul away and he looks to the guy, to the, to the commander, the Roman commander, and he says to him in Greek, hey, do you mind if I say something to you? <laughs> do, you do you mind if I, I, I mention something to you real quick? And the guy looks at him he's like, you speak Greek? He's like, yeah, I speak Greek. He's like, I thought you were the Egyptian guy who led the, led the revolt with like 4,000 a couple years ago. Was that not you? He's like, no, 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 no. That's not me. And that's where we started reading first thing when he said, I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. And surprise, surprise, he goes, okay. So he, Paul is now going to speak to this mob that has been stirred up against him that has been ready to kill him. And that was the text that we started out with. When he turns to them in Aramaic and says, brothers and sisters. So he spoke Greek to the Roman and Aramaic to his brothers and sisters, uh, the Jews. And they hear him speak in Aramaic and a hush falls on the crowd. They're quiet, like, hold on. What is he going to say? And he says, I'm a Jew born of Tarsus brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. He's like, I was zealous for God, just as all of you are. I was like you are. I persecuted this way, belief in Christ, the way, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. He's like, everybody will tell you who I was. Everybody will tell you what I was doing. Everybody knows who I am. He said they can testify to it. And after that, I received letters from them to the brothers. I traveled to Damascus. Remember his testimony. He was going to Damascus with letters to arrest all those who were of the way, pull them out and, and bring them in chains back to Jerusalem to be punished, to be punished. And then he summarizes his experience on the Damascus road when they're riding along and a bright light shines and Jesus appears before him and says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He's like, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he tells him, go into the city. There's going to be one waiting for you and I will show you what will happen next. Right. You remember? He said, in that very hour, I looked up and saw him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will. This is when he's talking to Ananias. To see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you delaying, Saul of Tarsus? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Same thing Jesus said was going to be preached. Repentance of sins in my name, the name of the Messiah, in all nations and everywhere. What Paul is telling them is his story. He's telling them his testimony. He's saying, this is who I was. Y'all know the people who knew that, who were with me in that are still here. You can ask them, this is who I was. And then I met Christ.
This is what Christ did in my life. And this is what he called me to. And that's what I'm still doing today. He told his story. And he shows it here. And then we know it in our hearts. We just have to be reminded of it. There is power in your story. There is power in what Christ has done in your life. In your life. You say, well, when I tell my story, I don't really come across the best when I tell all of it. Did you see how Paul came across in his story? He's like, I was persecuting those who were of the way, who now are my brothers and sisters in Christ who I serve with, bleed with, cry with. It was them that I was doing terrible things to. You notice in his testimony there, he doesn't say anything that's going to pat him on the back. He didn't go into like, y'all would not believe all the mighty works God has done through my hand. We had a boy fall out of a window, dead on the ground. I picked him up and said, he's not dead. He's alive. And I handed him back to him. And he lived. That's what I did. I'm Paul. He didn't do that. He didn't go through all of that. What did he do? He said, this is who I was. I was dead in my sins and my trespasses. And Christ, he puts all the highlight on Jesus. He puts all the glory to the name of Jesus Christ. He's not praising himself for his own actions, but what Christ has done despite him. And so what I'd encourage you here, we're just going to break for just a second. Say, don't be afraid to tell your story, even if it's imperfect, even if it's incomplete. You're not yet perfect. You've not yet made it. But the people who are going to be hearing you haven't made it either. Like, well, I don't want to come across as a hypocrite. Hypocrites are ones that present themselves to have attained perfection and in fact haven't. Or being deceitful. Who are being fraudulent. Paul's not being fraudulent here, is he? He said, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did. And this is what he called me to. And this is what I've been doing ever since. This is what I've been doing ever since. When we tell our story, it opens up the door for the things that we've learned by experience. These are things that I know because I've experienced it. You can tell somebody what it's like to stand in the middle of the ocean. You can give them a description and they could say then, well, I know what it's like to stand in the middle of the ocean. But how, how different is it when you've actually stood in the middle of the ocean? So when you have stood in situations, when you have stood in those points in your life where Christ found you and he changed things around for you, how much better are you going to be able to talk about it than somebody who just read about it in a book, who just heard somebody else talk about it? There's room there for your experience, things that you've lived, things that you've touched, things that you've seen. And again, it's going to be incomplete because you're not complete yet. And it's going to be imperfect because you're not perfect yet. And you don't have to give it in a sermon. You can tell somebody face to face what Christ has done for you. And it's honest and it's worshiping, worshipfully pointing to Jesus Christ and what it's doing and what he's doing here. Is calling others to believe just like he did. He said, what did he say? What did he tell him at first? I was zealous, just like all of you. He said, my heart was just like your heart. My actions were just like your actions. And he's calling them to belief in Christ because Paul's heart was burdened for his people. It was burdened for his countrymen because he had come out of that and he knew the great pains that they were enduring and some of it they didn't even realize that it was pain that they were enduring. And he's calling them to belief in the Christ that has saved him.
He tells his story. He tells his sin. He tells of God's grace. He gives the when and the how and what it led him to. And that's all we have to do when we share our story. Like, I don't even know how to start it. Start with what God's done. Start with the fact that he's there and that he's good and that he's been good to you. And maybe you just leave it there. And the more you share, the more sensitive you're going to be to the leading of the Holy Spirit, where he's going to say, lean into this part really hard with this person or back off of this part a little bit with this person. And it'll make all the difference in the world. And he tells it. He tells it all. He goes on down in verse 19. He said when he was speaking to the Lord at the point of his conversion, he's like, they know that in the synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, remember he was the first martyr, they stoned him to death. I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed them. He told it all. He told on himself. But then Christ said, he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You're going to go and you're going to be used and they're going to hear the gospel because you're willing to tell your story. Now, when he talks about Stephen, they go from being quiet to being riled back up real quick. The mob rises back up again. And the commander is like, I don't know what is going on. I don't understand anything about this. They're talking about it. Jesus, these folks are really mad. This guy seems okay, but I don't know exactly what he's done to cause this. He must have done something to cause this. So what we're going to do is we're going to beat him, scourge him until he tells us what the deal is. And so they lay Paul out and they are about to commence to tearing him apart, scourging him. To convince him to tell them what's going on. And Paul looks at him. He goes, are you going to whoop a Roman citizen like this? And the guy goes, what are you talking about Roman citizen? I'm a Roman citizen, which came with a set of rights, just like you have rights here in America. They had a system of rights for their citizens. They presumed he was not a Roman citizen. He's like, what did you buy this for money? Did you buy this citizenship? He's like, I was born a Roman citizen. And so they all flip out like, we were about to beat a Roman citizen. We've got it back. So they take him again. Take him away. Take him down from there. Take him away to the barracks. They're like, tomorrow we're going to figure out what's going on. And so they get the Sanhedrin together the next day. And go, y'all are going to help us figure out exactly what is going on. Because what did Rome want? They wanted peace in the city. Peace was not in the city. <laughs> because everybody was trying to kill Paul. He said, y'all are going to have a chance to stand up and preach or, or speak your accusations against this man. We want to hear the charges that you have against him. And so he takes him before the Sanhedrin, basically their Supreme Court, right? Kind of ruled the Jewish affairs in the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 23, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. Verse two, the high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law and yet in violation of the law, you are ordering me to be struck. 
I love this scene right here. Tell it. You're fine. That's the Bible app. narration. I recognize it. So he stands before the Sanhedrin, and the first thing he says is, I've got a clean conscience before God up to this day. And the high priest says to the people, hold him, punch him in the mouth. Punch him in his mouth. And Paul goes, wait a second. You're here going to stand in judgment over me, saying that I violated the law, and you're violating the law by commanding that I be struck. You're a hypocrite. The whitewashed wall, hypocrite. He's like, you are a hypocrite. And so they say to him, how dare you revile God's high priest? This is the high priest who ordered him to be struck. And what did, what did Paul say? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. Now, people have said, I don't know why he said that. Could he not see that it was him? You know, maybe he had some eye problems. Uh, or was he saying, maybe he didn't recognize him. Maybe they've had a new high priest. Or was he saying, I didn't know that he was the high priest. Essentially, he's not the high priest. Who's the high priest? Jesus. He's like, I, I didn't know that he was the high priest. Paul had a little bit of, of, of attitude there, and I kind of like it. I kind of like it. But you see what can happen when we have carnal convictions about things. Carnal mean that they're coming from just my flesh, my mind, my opinion about something. I can take someone who's my enemy and then justify doing whatever I want to do to them because they're the enemy. And you see that happening so much you can get drawn into it so easy. Well, they're on the other side of this argument, so they're the enemy. And because they're the enemy, I can, it doesn't matter what I do to them. And what Paul is saying is it very much matters even how you treat your enemies. It very much matters how you treat those who are against you. And he tells them, I'm a Pharisee, born of a Pharisee. And, and then he does something really cool because he's in front of the Sanhedrin. We won't spend a lot of time right here. He's in front of the Sanhedrin. He says, y'all know what this is really about? The fact that I believe there's a resurrection from the dead. That's what he said. And you're thinking, why would that be a big deal? Because there were two groups in there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees believed there was no resurrection from the dead. Danny's favorite joke, that's why they were sad. You see, they didn't believe there was a resurrection from the dead. And so basically what he does is he gets them to fight amongst each other. They start going back and forth like, he said there was a resurrection. Like, well, there is a resurrection. And they start going at it. And he just kind of steps back and is letting them go. And then again, the commander the Roman commander who's trying to get this sorted out. This is just boggling his mind. He's like, this keeps getting worse and I'm trying to make it better. I just want everything to be normal and everybody to be calm. But what ends up happening there in the Sanhedrin is they release Paul and go, we, we, we can't charge this man with anything. We can't charge him with anything for what he's said. We find nothing evil in this man. Verse nine of chapter 23. And then their dispute continues on. And when it became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them and bring him back to the barracks. And then the following night, the Lord stood by him, stood by who? Stood by Paul and said, have courage, have courage. For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. Remember Rome, 3000 miles away. He's sitting in Jerusalem and Jesus tells him, have courage. 
You've testified about me here, just like you did it here. You're going to testify about me in Rome. Hang in there, in other words, Paul. Hang in there. Persevere. And something wild happens. Forty men, 40 of them, bound themselves under a curse, saying, we won't eat until we kill Paul. We won't eat until we kill him. And if we do, let us be accursed. Let us be torn apart. Let us receive that judgment. Again, carnal convictions that, that, that aren't based in faith are going to lead you to do some wild things. Again, these are guys saying, Paul has violated the law. We're going to kill him. Isn't that a violation of the law? Hush. He's the enemy. There's 40 of us. We all agree on this. And we're not going to eat until he dies or let us be accursed. And Paul's sister finds out about this and she sends her son to go tell Paul because while he's there in the barracks, they're treating him well because he's a Roman citizen. So she sends his little nephew in there. And he's like, she's like, hey, there's, OK, so there's 40 people and they're not going to eat until they kill you. And he's like, go tell the commander. And he goes and tells the commander, he's like, OK. So look, there's 40 people and they're going to kill him. They haven't eaten anything, so they're extra angry and they're going to try to kill him as soon as they can. He goes, don't tell anybody that you told me this. He takes Paul, gives him a guard and sends him to the governor. Basically going, I don't know what's going on over here in Jerusalem, but this guy, is a, he's got stuff going on. There's people taking, you know, curse oaths about him and everybody wants to kill him. And I'm sending him to you so you can figure out what it is that's going on. So he gets referred up from basically the mayor to the governor, the one who was over the area. He goes from that, the mayor to a man named Felix, who was the governor over the area in Caesarea. So he's not in Jerusalem anymore. And he gets there and Felix says, all right, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. It's like when the manager comes to the table, he goes, all right, tell me what's going on. I'm ready to hear the story. Tell me what's going on. He said, I'm going to hear the charges against you, your accusers, the next day. And the high priest, Ananias, same one who had him punched in the mouth. He comes before Felix and he says, this man's a plague. He's an agitator and he's a desecrator of the temple. He, he brought in people who were Gentiles, which he didn't. They're lying on him. And Paul's response is, I've done nothing and they can prove nothing in their charges. They, they keep saying I've done so, haven't been able to prove anything. Ask them to prove it. They can't prove it. And so in verse uh, 14 of chapter 24, Paul says, oh, in 13 he says, they can't prove any of the charges that they're making against me. 14, but I admit this to you. Here's what I'll admit. I'm going to make an admission. I worship the God of my ancestors accordance with the law and written in the prophets. Verse 15, I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. Remember, he's bringing that tribute to the church of Jerusalem. 18, while doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple here, having done nothing wrong, without a crowd and without any uproar. He's like, I wasn't doing anything. Verse 19, it is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me. Or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement I shouted while standing among them today, I'm on trial because uh, before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. He said, that's all I said when I was in there. And they couldn't find anything against me. And Felix had heard about the way 
but he still wasn't sure what he's like, what is going on? And all of them. Here's the neat thing about all these Roman folks. They were all scared of doing the wrong thing. They were all scared of handling this the wrong way. They were like, this seems like a big deal. And if I handle this the wrong way, then I'm going to be on the chopping block about it. So they kept kind of pushing it down a little bit, kicking the can down the road a little bit. He said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to wait for the commander to come up from Jerusalem. He sent me a letter when he sent this guy up here. And I, don't really, I still don't know what's going on. I'm going to wait till he gets here. And then he, he can tell me what happened. And then we'll make a decision on it. So he postpones the verdict on Paul's life. And he leaves Paul guarded there, again, where the governor lives and keeps him safe, keeps him comfortable. And then he and his wife, the governor and his wife, Felix and his wife, would come and visit Paul and come and listen to him. Verse 25 of chapter 24 said, now as he spoke about righteousness, self-control and judgment, the judgment to come, this is Paul, Felix became afraid. Felix became afraid when Paul was talking about the things to come and replied, leave for now. But when I have an opportunity, I'll call you later. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him some money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. He was crooked, in other words. He was like, you're pretty popular. You probably got some money. Maybe you'll pay me and then I can let you go. Because right now the Jews are paying me. If you pay me more, maybe I'll kick you loose. He was crooked. Felix was crooked. And because of that, he was he was eventually replaced by a man named Festus. Two years, Paul stayed at Felix's house. Two years he stayed there. Again, we're kicking the can down the road. Because Felix wanted to do Paul a favor, do the Jews a favor. He left Paul in prison and Festus succeeded. These are great names, right? Felix and Festus. Festus succeeds Felix and he starts in Jerusalem. He had been in charge for three days. Again, this is two years after all this stuff started happening. Two years after all this stuff started kicking off. He's been there for three days. What do you think the first thing was they brought before him? We want to kill Paul. You're the new guy. We're going to start this all over again. We want to kill him. They're just as riled up as they've ever been. And so in the first three days when he's in Jerusalem, here comes all Paul's accusers. And they're saying, send him back over here so we can kill him. Send him back over here so we can take his life. And Festus goes, I think I'm the one in charge. So here's what we'll do. Y'all come to where he is, where I'm going, and then I'll hear the charges. This is where new manager, he's going to hear the charges. Let me hear what's going on. I'll figure it out and I'll tell you what to do. And so they did. And they acted like they had serious charges. But again, they had no proof of anything that he had done wrong. And Paul continues to say, I am blameless. I haven't transgressed the law. I have not transgressed against the temple and I have not transgressed against Caesar. I have done nothing wrong here. Blameless. And Festus goes in uh, verse. Let's see. Verse. Nine flipping over here. Of chapter 25. Festus. Wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and be tried before me there on these charges? He's like, if you say you're blameless, we'll just take you back to Jerusalem where all of them are, all the people that want to kill you. And you can stand trial there because he was he want. He's want to do the Jews a favor. Probably they're paying him money. Right. He says, we'll just go back there and we'll have the trial and then you can be free. And Paul's like. That is the sketchiest thing I've ever heard. Why would I go back over there? All of them want to kill me. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. 
I'm not in their court. I'm in your court. And I'm appealing to the next hierarchy. If you won't judge me blameless, I'll appeal it all the way up to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, I have that right. I want to go before Caesar. You're not going to send me back down to the lower court, especially because there they want to kill me without cause. You're going to send me up to the higher court. Which anyway, Jesus had told him, where was he going? Rome. He said, you will represent me in Rome. You'll witness before me in Rome. So he says, no, no, I don't think I will go back to where everybody wants to kill me. Festus, if you won't hear it here, you're going to send me to Rome. And so Festus is trying to figure out, okay, I don't want to handle this the wrong way. He wants to go to Caesar. He's appealed to Caesar. I have to send him to Caesar and I have to send a letter along with him explaining why I sent him there. And I don't know what's going on. They all, I can't figure out what. So if I had to put this into what y'all want to kill him, but what? something about a temple, there's something in there and they just really hate him. They want to kill him, but I can't figure out what's going on. So he kind of keeps delaying. And then one day he gets a visit from Herod Agrippa II, because Herod Agrippa I was eaten by worms. Y'all like, eaten by worms? That's what happens when you miss. People get eaten by worms. <laughs> Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice come and visit Festus. And Festus goes, maybe y'all can help, because Herod Agrippa was, you know, king of the Jews. That's where he stood. So he understood about the Jewish culture. He understood about the temple. He understands about all this. He said, maybe y'all can help. Let's get his accusers in here. Let's assemble the tribunal. And, and, and then we'll hear uh, what, what it is that this man is being charged of. Because he, he's like, I, I. And, and, and what, what's interesting here, and I notice uh, for Paul, you know, he's had, he's had to say multiple times in here, I was blameless in the temple. I'm blameless before Caesar. I'm blameless as, as far as the law. I've not transgressed any of those things. You never know when your life is going to be called to account, right? You never know at, at what point you're going to have to give account for the things that you do. So you want to be mindful of the things that you're doing. And thankfully, he had handled himself rightly in the temple based on James's recommendation. Otherwise, they would have had some ammunition to go against him. And that's digging too deep. But you never know when you'll have to defend your life. And so here, before Agrippa... In verse 19 of chapter 25, he's like, I had these accusers come up. This is Festus talking. But they brought no charge against him of evils I was expecting. Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be tried there regarding these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. And so Agrippa says to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. And Festus goes, tomorrow we're going to make that happen. So the next day, King Agrippa II and his sister Bernice, they come in all the pomp and circumstance and everything. Because one of the kings is here and he's going to hear what's going on today. He's going to examine Paul for himself so that he can tell Festus what to write when he sends the letter to Caesar. And so Agrippa tells Paul, he says, stand up and speak for yourself. That's in chapter 26 and verse one. He says, you have permission to speak for yourself. 
And Paul says, well, thank you, King Agrippa, for letting me talk before you, your sister Bernice. Festus is here. This is a big deal. I've been kind of waiting on this. And in verse four there, he starts to tell his story again. He says, all the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify to that. According to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. The promise our 12 tribes hoped to reach as they earnestly served him day and night. King, King Agrippa, I'm being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem and I locked up many saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. Telling this story again. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme, speak against God. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. I just love that picture. He says, I was terribly enraged at them. He says, I was burning with so much anger against them whom I now have joined that I even went out of town to go fight them. I even went out of town to go wrangle them up. Again, he's telling the parts that he would have been ashamed of his actions. He's telling this before Agrippa, but he said, I, I have found the promise that our people have been searching for. I have found the promise that our people have been hoping for. And I stand on trial because of that hope in what God promised to our ancestors. When we served him day and night and earnestly for, for, for hundreds and thousands of years, the promise has come. Though I didn't deserve it because he talks about all the things that he had done wrong. And then he takes Agrippa through his Damascus Road experience, how Christ knocked him down. but also picked him up. And then in verse 15, he says, when I was knocked down and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus, the one who you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, look why, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Ooh, I love that verse 18. I love that. I'm going to read it again. He's sending Paul to them, to who? To his people and the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share or an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He's saying, this is what he called me to do. Again, anything good about him in there? He only told the bad. Who's he telling the good about? Christ. Could he have boasted in himself? He could have. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Why? Because he wanted them to hear, I did everything wrong. And he saved me. I did, every, I did everything wrong trying to reach the promise and the promise reached out for me. 
the promise reached out for me and he told me that I would get to declare it in front of Jews and Gentiles. And, and he did it with a burden, not, not with a uh, putting guilt or shame on them, but to tell them I was guilty and I was ashamed. And I found in Christ gave me a way out of it. Christ gave me a way out of that guilt and that shame. And he's like, this is for everybody. This is for everybody. And Festus, who's been, and Festus has heard this before. He's there. And in verse 24, he said, it says he exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you crazy. He said, you've been thinking about this too long. You're just cra one God for all the nations. Really? Paul, come on. People coming out of darkness and into light. Really? Why? Because he was a leader in Rome. He had seen all the levels of depravity that you could see. In man, all the levels of evil from one to another, all the levels of hedonism, trying to pursue pleasure. And he's like, you think that you're going to tell people about this, this man, Jesus, and it's going to bring about anything? You have lost your mind. But Paul replied, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. He's like, I've not lost my mind. I found the truth. I've not lost my mind. I found the truth. And here's what you need to know, Festus. It's already happening. Why? He had already seen it happening. He had seen people come to faith in Jerusalem. He had seen people come to faith in Antioch. He had seen people come to faith in Philippi and Corinth and in Ephesus. He had seen people come to faith in all the other towns that we, for, we would forget the names of. He's like, they went from worshiping Artemis to worshiping Jesus. He's like, it may sound crazy to you. I stopped reading. He said, I'm speaking words of truth and in good judgment for the king, Agrippa II, knows about these matters. I can and I can speak boldly to him, for I'm convinced that none of these things have escaped his notice since this was not done in a corner. <laughs> He's like, this wasn't done off somewhere. Christ is doing it in the middle of these town squares. And Agrippa knows what's going on in Jerusalem. He knows how many are following Jesus in Jerusalem. You may say it's crazy, but he's seen it happen. And that's why I can speak boldly before him about these things, because he is aware of them. And then he asks him, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. I know you believe in the prophets. I know you were raised a Jew. Do you believe what the prophets said? And in verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Or. You've almost persuaded me just with this little bit of a conversation, just with this little bit of what you've said, you've almost persuaded me. Are you going to persuade me so quickly to believe in Christ? And look what Paul says. He said, I wish before God that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. And that's Paul's heart. And that's the heart of the Christian. Right. He said he, he said, my deepest desire is that you would believe like I have believed that you would hear and you would become like I am without these chains. Obviously, he's like that. You don't want that part, but that you would believe in the Christ that has turned my life upside down, that even though I've endured hardships, even though I've endured all of this madness here, it is overwhelmingly worth it. 
what did he say? These light afflictions are working for me an exceeding weight of glory. It's like when you put it on the scale, what I receive in Christ and what I what I've dealt with in this world for following him, it weighs so much more. It weighs so much more. He's like, are you trying to convince me to, to believe? He said, I'm trying to convince everybody to believe. He said, that's what I've been doing. That's why I've been going these places. That's why I've been doing what I've been doing. They put me in prison. I just preached to the people in prison. They put me in the governor's house. I preached to the people in the governor's house. I preached to the governor and his wife. Everybody that I get a chance to, I tell them about it because I want them to be as I am. I want them to be as I am. And not surprising, what was the, ver- the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up. And when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Amen. Well, he's what? He's blameless. He's blameless. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. He said, if he had just appealed to me and you, we'd have kicked him loose after this meeting right here. He would just go merrily on his way. But that wasn't the plan, was it? Jesus told him, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to stand before Caesar and you're going to testify as my witness in Rome, just like you have in Jerusalem, just like you have in Caesarea, just like you have in all these other places. But I think that's neat that he said we would he's innocent and he's worthy to be released. But to Caesar, he will go to Caesar. He will go. So a couple of things here, which, by the way. I'll tell you just a second. I told you you'd see me do something that I've never done before, at least that I could think of. Uh, and that's covered that many chapters in one service. I thought that I was like, I don't really know, Lord, if we could do that. But I, we started in chapter 21 and here we are at the end of chapter 26. Uh, God's gracious. <laughs> and we didn't go till this evening. Amen. Amen. But some of the things I was like, Lord, I want to tell the story and I, wa- I want to see a few things in there. That, that we can pull out and, and really carry with us. And, and, and the first thing was that Paul kept telling his story, what Christ had done for him. And then he focused on the unflattering parts about himself. He, he didn't focus yet on what, what I've grown into. He focused on what Christ brought me out of. And I understand we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to give glory to the devil. And, and it can be, uh, we can focus too much on, on, on the wrong and in the sin. But I, what I'm telling you is don't, don't, don't try to erase it because that is the testimony of the gospel. That is the testimony of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Though I was dead in my sins and in my trespasses, Christ died for me. And in him, I have been made alive. Me who was dead. Dead man can't make him. He can't do anything, especially make himself alive. But he found me dead in my sins and trespasses. And he made me alive. So we tell our story even when it's unflattering. And just like Paul, we have found the truth. He said the the promises that people have been looking for for generations. I found him. He came and I found he found me. And I want to tell you about him. That he's the hope of the world, the hope of the whole world. And you have to believe that when you read the book of Acts, because you see it playing out that way. You see the church starting here and going to here and going to here. Eventually, again, all the way to where we are today. All the way we're all the way over here. Changing the world as it went. Even the secular systems are changed 
by the mission of Jesus that went forward. Because the values that were preached, even if the salvation, even if everything else didn't come along with it, the values that went with it were pushed forward. And we still benefit from that today, even in secular society, things that were set up because people were preaching Jesus for hundreds and hundreds of years. Our, our whole world was, was changed by him. And Paul's speaking the truth, but not to condemn and shame people. Not to make them feel guilty, but to tell them, even in your guilt, Christ took that from you and gave you his innocence. So that you could stand before God blameless, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. Christ has come. He is the way out of guilt and shame. He is the path of freedom. And so Paul, freedom, is Paul free? He's free in every way that matters. Can he leave that governor's mansion? Can he leave that governor's uh, property? No, but he's just as free as he has ever been anywhere else. And again, he said these light afflictions, 2 Corinthians 4, are working an exceeding weight of glory. So a couple of things as we finish, and I'm done. Don't be afraid to tell your story. Don't be afraid to tell your story. You may not get up and tell it to a large group. You may just tell it to one person at a time. You may tell it to one person at a time. And look, I've told you before, you may not need to give it to them all at one time. Right? If you're in a, if you're in a semi-dark room and somebody shines a bright light in your face, what, what, are, what are you going to do? You're going to... can't take all that in. It may be like that with your story, depending on what it is. But if you start out with one of these little lights... I'm like, let me tell you about this. And they go, oh, okay, okay. And the next time you tell, I'm going to tell you about this. As the Lord leads, let me tell you about this. And then before long, you've illuminated the whole thing and it hadn't overwhelmed, it didn't scare them away, right? Because some of our stuff can be scary. But a little bit at a time, tell your story. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself because it can change somebody else's life. Just like Paul said, he has, he has sent me to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. We want to tell our story. We don't want to, we, we don't want to get life twisted. We don't want to be like the high priest who thinks we're doing the right thing by keeping the law and we're transgressing it against our brothers and sisters that we're not loving our enemies, that we're not treating them with love and dignity and respect, even if we disagree and even if they say terrible things about us. Don't get it twisted and then understand, just like he told King Agrippa and he told Festus, this is hope for everybody. This isn't just a hope for those of us that would gather here. This isn't just a hope for a, a, a few of us. This is hope for everybody in the whole world. He is the Savior of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent on the day of Pentecost into in Jerusalem so many years ago and lit the church on fire, a fire that burns still today, that we enjoy the warmth and the power of today. Thank you. And thank you for the testimony of it. Thank you for the testimony that you've given each and, each and every one of us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that we receive forgiveness of sins 
and an inheritance with the saints because of Christ Jesus. I thank you for the story we have. I thank you for the boldness to tell it. I thank you for the leading of the Holy Spirit to know when and how to take it into conversation, to take it into a Monday or a Thursday, to take it into the everyday life that we exist in so that others could hear because this is the hope of the whole world. The promise that people have been looking for since we had to leave the garden. The promise of restoration and reconciliation with you. Guys, we get ready to go today. Protect us and keep us safe. Those that are out from us uh, traveling, Lord God, either for, for, for fun or for work, I think that you bring them safely back to us and comfort them where they are. If it's weakness that's kept them from us, Lord, strengthen them. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon us and give us your peace. And I thank you that we will continue to be in awe of the power of your gospel. We love you. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.